Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza, you can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into this episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it, got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Today on the show, one of my all-time favorite guests we ever had was Morgan Harper Nichols. She's back. This episode is fire. I walked out of recording this just like, yeah, pumping my fist in the air because I was so inspired by, I, I feel like Morgan has really figured out how to tap into that true essence in her creative work and really speak from her soul. And I loved getting into the nuance and the weirdness of what it feels like, the particulars of trying to get that out. And, it, and it, this episode gets weird in the best possible ways. And uh, there's good tips that come out of it. And, and Morgan is always just a huge dose of peace and centering for me. If you don't already know, Morgan has a podcast on our Co-Loop Podcast Network. It's called The Morgan Harper Nichols Show, and she interviews storytellers on finding meaning and peace in life and work, but she also does a lot of small episodes that are just her poems and intentions and thoughts, and they are if you are frazzled and feel totally disconnected and fractured, this is a great way to recenter and get whole and get a message. Might just be just what you need to hear that day. Morgan always seems to deliver that kind of insight. Uh, and, and so go check out her podcast too, The Morgan Harper Nichols Show. And you are going to love this episode. Thank you so much, Morgan, for being on the show. If you don't know, Morgan is this incredible poet poet uh, and visual artist. She's got an insane following that just – is so dedicated to her work and gets so much from it. They're so deeply connected to the work that she does. Follow her on Instagram. It is a, uh, it will 
regularly show up on your feed just when you need it to, to need it to to kind of bring you back down to earth and, and help you find some peace. Morgan, you are so awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. And you guys are gonna love the show. Before we get to that, I just wanna say one thing real quick, a little little personal update. Friends, my new kid's book, A Pizza With Everything On It, is finally out this week. If you're hearing this, it came out. It's out there in the world. I just wanted to say really super quick that I was so touched last week. The biggest jump in our kid's book sales for my new kid's book, A Pizza With Everything On It, came a week ago after we launched the podcast. I was absolutely blown away. We got to number six on Amazon's kids book new releases and our minds were blown. My family was touched. The publisher was freaking out. Thank you so much for your generosity and for spreading the word. I I know you're going to love this book, uh, but we're not quite done. We're just a little bit off our first week goals that helps us get on the lists and get the attention of bookshops and all kinds of people getting to know about it. So if you haven't got a book, we could really use your help. This is the last big push for the book. Go to creativepeptalk.com pizza, get a copy or send people there. Thank you so much. We're right on the edge of this. I need your help. And, and I so appreciate everybody that has just shown up like crazy for me in, in the book. Uh, it has been incredible. Thank you so much. On to my chat with Morgan. So the first question I was going to ask you was what I, I love hearing you talk about poetry. I'm not I love words and I love analogies. And that's what I really love about kind of, you know, uh, poetry when a poem has a really good kind of metaphor or something. But I'm a complete amateur and I don't know anything about poetry. And I've never, I've never even got really a book of poetry from the library. And so every time I hear you talk about it, I'm just super like, oh, I want to hear more about this. So my first question is, what was the first poem you read that made you feel like I have to be a poet. Oh, like the poem that turned you into a poet. Oh, yes. It's T.S. Eliot's Proof Rock poem. And I found it because I was in the local library when I was a teenager and I would just I'm incredibly indecisive and I like I don't know what to read. So I was just kind of going up and down the aisles picking up different books. And I ended up picking up like kind of a, you know, kind of a classic anthology, you know, <laughs> really intimidating, huge books. And I ended up picking up one and I opened it and flipping through, I ended up on um, T.S. Eliot's poem, Proof Rock, which it's a longer name, but I'm just abbreviating it. If anyone wants to, <laughs> if you want to search it, just Proof Rock. And it was something about that poem that was, it was just two things happening at once. I was like, this is clearly written by someone who is from a completely different time from me. Um, I don't even understand all of the things that are being referenced in this poem, but at the same time, there's like an energy to it that makes me want to keep going with it, even if I don't necessarily understand it. And I feel like that experience that I was having is very similar to listening to music in a lot of ways. Like you don't always catch the lyrics the first time listening. You don't always catch all the little things that are going on, but there's certain songs that just make you want to keep listening. You're just like, I don't even yeah. know what this is yet, but I just want to keep listening. So I was feeling that with this poem and I don't remember having that feeling ever before with a poem prior to that. I mean, I read poems, but it's just like, okay, yeah, you read them in school. That's just a part of life. But I was like, I just want to keep reading this one and no one's making me read it. Why is that the why is that happening? And then I get down to the end of the poem and it ends with this verse on um I mean it may sound a bit morbid out of context, but it really resonated with me as as a teenager. And he says, till human voices wake us and we drown. And I was like, okay, I just made it through all those lines. I understood a small percentage of them, but that I know. I was like, that feeling, whatever he's talking about, I'm like, I want I want more words to help me figure out like what I'm feeling. So I, I kind of associated that with poetry. And then I was just so fascinated by, because I was like, who is this T.S. Eliot figure? So I remember Googling and, and seeing his picture and it's just like, how did this 
old white guy from a completely separate time <laughs> managed to to say something that speaks to me, you know, black girl in Atlanta in the 2000s. Like, how, what is that? And I was like, whatever that is that seems to transcend time, culture. And I was like, I like that. And I felt like it was very much so like music. I feel like music does that. It's It transcends time. It transcends, um, you know, age. And for me, poetry just felt like a different version of that, honestly. And I, I started to see song lyrics that way. So I don't, obviously, poetry and music aren't the same. But because I do play instruments and I do sing and I make music, I do kind of see it as like a, as like a, almost kind of like a way to, to just focus on like the lyrics and the, the lyrics themselves and to just kind of pace myself through that. So yeah, even as I've, I, I actually, <laughs> when I graduated from college, I actually did, I don't talk about this much, but it's, it happened. I went, I actually yeah. went to an MFA poetry program for one semester. Um, I did not survive. I had, <laughs> I had a lot going on in my life at that time. So that was probably the biggest thing. And two, I, I mean, it was just, I hesitate to say it was out of my league, but it kind of was a lot of the people in the program were coming into it. They had studied poetry just way more than I had. And I was like, how on earth did I get in this program? So I, I only made it one semester. But but during that semester, though, I, I really do feel like I learned that even though sometimes poetry can be very intimidating, I discovered some of my favorite poets during that during that during that semester. And I have continued to read them over the years. So, yeah, I have a very interesting relationship with it. And then on a more practical note, now that I've become a parent, I and, and as someone who loves to read, I just don't have the time to read like I used to. And poetry is great because you can just flip open to any page and <laughs> just read a poem and yeah. it makes sense. And you can't always do that as much as you can with a novel. So um, you, you can't do that in the same way you could with a novel. So um, wait, I yeah. said that backwards. But you can't do that with a novel. I understood it. I don't know which way it was, but I, <laughs> I get don't, what yeah. you're saying. <laughs> the yeah, funny thing novels. is I do that all the time. <laughs> And I always think in my monologues, I'm sure that there's times where I say it backwards and I don't catch it. Mm -hmm. And I think people think I've I've actually lost my mind. Yeah, it's yeah. like <laughs> you are no longer yeah. making sense. But yeah, you can't yeah. do that with novels and a lot of other traditional, you know, nonfiction chapter books. It's hard to just kind of flip yeah. open to a page and understand what's going on. But what I love about poetry is you can do that. It's like, yeah. all right, I want to keep a practice where I'm reading every day. It's like, you can do that with poetry. You can open up to a page and just read a page. And that is a, it's its own kind of experience all on its own, just like a song. So, um, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of how I feel about poetry, why I think I enjoy it. And I, and I keep coming back to it over and over. Okay. So I, Love that answer, and I want to dive in deeper to it. So when you were getting to that last line of that poem, I, I want to talk about, like, what – maybe that was an intuitive thing, and sometimes it's an intuitive thing. It's hard to kind of, you know, tear apart, like, overanalyze or whatever. But I like doing that on this show. Um, I like I like trying to give words to stuff that you can't because interesting things happen in that process. So when you got to that last line of that poem – what did it, what was it doing for you? Was it putting you in touch with something in you that you didn't didn't know how to access or and I'm just giving you an example. I don't yeah. know. I'm just and I'm also just curious of like what that did, but then also what your favorite poems from there have in common about how they resonate with you. Mm. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, I do think it is a bit intuitive. I think it's sort of like I think that some works of art, it's like, I mean, I feel like I kind of consume a lot of art, like just in all forms. I'm always taking art, but it's like, there's some moments where it's just like, I feel like that person just mirrored what was in my soul, but I couldn't say it. And just by them being another human being and feeling something similar, what they end up saying it speaks to me, even though I wouldn't have said it that way myself, if that makes sense. So I feel like that there's, in a way, it's, you kind of need all the other lines of the poem 
even if you didn't connect with those as much because they kind of like work out that feeling and then you get to that feeling eventually, if that makes sense. Like if that, if that line, those lines hadn't, if they were at the beginning of the poem. I don't know if I would have connected with them as much. It was sort of like, okay, I'm interested in what this person's saying. It's enough to keep me going with it. I'm interested. I'm interested. And then it's like, oh, it gets to the point. It's like, oh, that's the heart of it. And I think you have to kind of like write your way or kind of carve your way to the heart of it. So yeah, I feel like, like one thing I do a lot of times, like I'll go through, like if I get like a new nonfiction book that's about, you know, whatever trees or art or whatever, a lot of times what I love to do, especially if I know I don't have time to read through it the way I want to, I'll actually go through and read the last lines of paragraphs or the last lines of chapters, because I feel like a lot of times, like that's where it's like, okay, you've stated the facts, you've, you've talked about, you know, a counter argument or whatever, and then you get to the heart of it eventually. And I think that there's, it's when that, that writer gets to the heart of it, that's like, that's where I have those moments of like, okay, yeah, I connect with that. And I want to keep coming back to that over and over. So, yeah. That makes a ton of sense to me. And it's something I've been wrestling with a lot is um, because ADHD just kind of rules my whole life. And I and I think one of the things I don't think people realize about that is how linked that is to boredom. So you're just kind of a slave to, for me, my experience of it and of what I've read of a lot and talked with others, like boredom is just actual pain. And I'm just running from boredom all the time. How to, and, and actually, I think it probably has a big, there's a few pieces to it. Like, you know, but a big part of it is that your dopamine is just not in a great situation. And so you're trying to like top up all the time. How do I get, so you're just chasing hits of dopamine and you're, and you're not sensitive to it. So like I, like I have to really pack on the flavor or like pack on the intensity or whatever. And lately as a creator, the further I go, the more I realize that, you know, if I was a musician, it would be, you can't have nonstop drops from the start or it doesn't work. You can't. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, and, but that's what I, that's my, my nature is like, all right, get like, let's keep them. Like, let's start up here and then keep yeah. going up. But you do such a good job of like, slowing down, making space and doing what that T.S. Eliot poem did, which is it makes you keep going mm -hmm. until you get to the satisfying thing. Yeah, I yeah, actually, there's a, a poet, uh, Billy Collins. I'm kind of paraphrasing what he said, but he said something about he's like, don't ask too much of your reader at the beginning. He was like, that's he's like, you actually want to make it easy for them in the beginning. And that stuck with me because I'm like, oh, I feel like a lot of times, especially if you're sitting down like, OK, I want to write something that is meaningful. I want to write something that sticks around or whatever. Then that, that pressure is there to like, well, you got to be smart or deep or clever from the first line. But what he was kind of arguing that was like, actually, that's not the case. Like, actually start with something that it's like, you know, um, and that's why I actually start, I start a lot off of my pieces with a phrase like, I hope, I hope you can find rest or whatever. Just something that like, you've all heard someone say, I hope, or it's, it's like, it doesn't ask a lot at the beginning. So that's something I have to remind myself of because I do, <laughs> I do sit down to, to write. And especially like when I'm writing for other people, if, if they've shared their story with me and it's something that is deeply touching and I want to make sure I connect with them in a meaningful way. I do feel that pressure of like, Oh, you better say something good, but it's like, <laughs> or you could just treat it like a conversation. Like <laughs> it's like, we don't have conversations thinking like, okay, you better, you know, you better get it right, right from the first word. You kind of give yourself permission to, to work your way to the point, especially if you're talking with someone that you care about and that you want to talk to and that's mutual. So yeah, I'm constantly having to remind myself of that. Cause I, I I'm this, I'm similar to you in the way I do kind of go into it of like, okay, where's the, <laughs> where's the gold, where's the but it's like, you've got to work yeah. your way to the gold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you've got to set that contrast up and it requires some level of restraint and you know, it I feel like I'm getting better at that, but it's it is it is hard for me. I want to mm -hmm. I want to just like blast it with color, blast it with stuff all the time. So yeah, it makes tons of sense. What is your favorite trick as a as a poet or even that other poets do, but mm -hmm. I I'm very interested in 
the science, like I, I feel like the science of making magic. So mm, like yeah. when you, pr- when I think that there's this chemistry to creativity of like, there's a way of the further you go, you're learning the tricks aren't everything. Like you want, mm-hmm. you want to say something and that's oh, yeah. the, that's the meat, yeah. but the tricks are how you accomplish it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I'm very interested in how the science behind making someone feel like creativity is magic. You know what I mean? And so I'm just yeah. curious, if, are there any, what are the pieces of poetry that you think, oh, that's one of my favorite, like, uh, tools in your tool belt? Oh, yes. I would say I am fascinated, probably even obsessed, and people may even get tired of me <laughs> if they hear me talk about it too much, with... <laughs> Finding the poetry in like the cadence of like everyday conversation. So if you if you like were to study like Shakespeare and like then like even like okay I want to write poetry or like or <laughs> in the most classical form, then you're gonna hear these words like iambic pentameters, like all these things of like okay you write words this way. And when I first encountered that, I was like, wow, this is incredibly overwhelming. I'm not sure how yeah. interested I am in learning all these technical <laughs> uh-huh. details. But one thing I discovered is I was like, even though these are quote unquote formulas and things that some poets have in their tool belt to be able to write poetry, a lot of it is still in many ways inspired by the cadences in real conversations. So what I kind of did is I just kind of bypassed all, <laughs> all of the um, all of the technical stuff, which is why I probably didn't last in my MFA program. And I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to focus on conversation. And I'm obsessed with it. Like, I love listening to, like, the way people paste certain words and and what kind of naturally happens. So a lot of times it's kind of hard to explain. But a lot of times when I'm writing, especially when I'm in, like, these – when I find, find, like, a rare moment of flow and I'm, like, it's just coming to me, this is what's happening. I can actually hear the cadence of, like, a conversation – And I'm just feeling in the words to that conversation. I can hear the tone of a conversation and I'm feeling in the words of the conversation. And it's visual too. I actually have this sort of like weird place that I go to sometimes where I can see, I can't see who the people are, but there are two Mm. people Sitting on a, it's so specific. They're sitting on a roof. I am eating this up, by the way. They're sitting on a rooftop and the sun is setting. So all you can see is their silhouette. But they're like sitting on, you know how like in some, okay, it's like this in England. Like some cities, some places have like where it's kind of normal to sit on rooftops. Like depending on where you live, not all all people sit on rooftops. But (laughs) sometimes there's like a whole like flat area up there where you can sit well these two people are sitting somewhere like that and they can see like the roads of houses and one person is speaking they're speaking to the other person on their left and it's I don't it's so hard to explain but I can hear that person the exact volume that they would be speaking at that time of day like saying something like encouraging or wise to that person and I'll write to that cadence I'm like what does that sound like and I have several pieces of mine. Like I, if I were to go through like all my poetry right now, I could point out the ones where I'm thinking of those two people sitting, <laughs> sitting on that little rooftop area and that person is speaking to them. So yeah, it's this, it's this weird thing that I feel like in everyday life, there are these moments that I kind of hold on to. And I kind of use that as the canvas for making the art. Another one that I think of when I get stuck, when I get stuck visually, when I'm trying to like think of, because a lot of times when I'm writing poetry, I end up thinking of it. I'm like, oh, this poem should be in blue. I must letter it in blue. <laughs> and I can no longer <laughs> write it anymore. And I'm like going over to my iPad. I'm like, okay, it's in blue. Uh-huh. When I when I get stuck in that spot, I think of myself when I was a freshman in college and there was no art on the wall in that room and it was just kind of like this gray beige grayish wall and like light blue trim in the room and yeah nothing was on the wall and I can still I kind of see myself sitting in the bed and my roommate's bed's over there she's not in the room and I'm like what's on that wall just paint for that wall what makes sense for that wall so again there's several pieces of mine that I can point out and say oh yeah I was thinking of that wall so 
yeah, I like to kind of, whether they're made up or they're actually my real life, I like to kind of like think of those moments of like, okay, what's the poem that fits in that moment? What's the art that fits in that moment? I'm really intrigued by that. So I don't know if that answers the question. <laughs> I freaking love it. I don't remember what I asked, but that is my jam. I am I am eating this up. Okay. I have two questions. The first one is, do you have any idea, do you have a sense at all who those people are? Or what? It's just a weird question, but I'm just... Yeah, no, <laughs> I have... I've thought of it and it's a weird answer because they're not real people. They're they're very loosely based off of a story, I think, that I wrote when I was younger. And I never finished the story. It's the story of this kid. Um, again, like, I don't really, I don't know why I was so vague in the story, but like, I don't know the kid's name <laughs> yeah. or anything. But uh -huh. this kid was like in this town where... They had grown up and they were really confused because everything had changed and they weren't sure they were dreaming. The story guy goes all over the place and I never finished it. And they meet this kind of like initially grumpy old guy who's like, no, this town like fell apart or something like that. And it's just like, it's not what you thought it was. But they end up developing this relationship with this with this older guy. And he's actually like kind of like a wise, gentle soul. So I've thought of it as this way. I'm like, maybe it's. Maybe it's like this kid. I think it was like a young boy maybe having this moment with this old guy and this this, this old guy telling him something. So I don't know if that makes sense to anyone Man, else. I just, <laughs> this is my jam. I this is why I, I love it so much. I and I feel it feels so it's very relatable to me. And I my the the other question that comes from that is and because I, I have this kind of experience, I know the ones of the I know the podcast episodes, I know the illustrations, I know the comics, I know all the, the talks, all that stuff. I know the ones that come from a place like that. And then I know that all the other ones that didn't. And I have all of my reasons and ideas around how to deal with that. But I wonder how do you think about all of the other stuff that you make? that doesn't have that kind of the feeling of, uh, you know, musicians would be like that song wrote itself or that one was channeled through me or, and you know, yeah. you're like, that was so, it just, it's just boom. How do you, what do you, how do you think about all the other ones and how do you keep yeah. making even when those, when they don't happen that way? Yeah, that's such a good, such a good question. And I I honestly don't think I would have been able to answer it like in a, until recently, actually. So I, I had to read my audio book for my next book and I was not looking forward to it because I, I'm like, that's just a lot of my own words that, because yeah. you can't go back and edit it at that point. You know, when you're reading it, it's just like, oh, no more changes. This thing's done. It's This is why I can't edit i can't i can no longer listen to any of my own episodes not conversation con if I, anytime i try to listen to a conversation i had for like an interview i'm like this is like when you go to a dinner party and you come home and you're in bed and you're like oh, i shouldn't have said that i should have said that like but you're actually doing it oh it's horrible so i totally yes get that, that yeah. is what you just described about the dinner party. yeah that's what it is it's and it's <laughs> it over that. and over and over it's like why uh, did i say it that way oh why did i say it that way so i was yeah. getting toward the end of the book and i was just like barely plowing through at this point like <laughs> i was just like oh i'm so tired of reading my own words yeah. and mm -hmm. i got to the second to last essay of the book and it was one of the ones that was the hardest to write and I had to get very technical to finish it because it was just like when I originally wrote the first draft, I'm like, it's got to be finished. It's got to be in the book. You've already committed and signed up for this. Just finish the essay. It was very much so like that. And when I pressed publish and send, I just forgot about it. I was like, I probably will never read this again. <laughs> well, here I am reading it again <laughs> in the audiobook. <laughs> Andy, I stopped and I wept in that reading that about five times. Because I picked up on things that I didn't even realize I was writing about. I was like, oh, I couldn't have gotten it in the real time. It, it's there. It's still the, the energy of whatever my creative process is as a whole, of my story, everything I've been through. It's all in that. I just can't see it in real time all the time. And I could barely make it through the essay. I mean, it took me <laughs> like three times longer than normal to read it. But there was so, like, I learned so much about myself. My, the essay was about an experience in my childhood. 
And I learned so many things from my own words, my own story, what I'd written. And I just read that of like, okay, from the moment that this event happened, when it, it happened when I was six years old to now, I'm like, it, this took decades for me to find the meaning of this. So that really made me think about a lot of my stuff in, in a different way. I'm just like, I've written things that were true to what I believe. And it's it was true to what I was trying to create in that moment. But I may not even pick up on the significance of it until later on. And also, or I may never pick up on the significance of it in some ways. Like I've had some moments where I've had someone read back something to me that I wrote. And I was like, I don't know what you hear in that. Um, <laughs> but I'm I'm not hearing what they hear. So that I think that is kind of the mystery of it. I'm like, I don't know what that is. I think it's, and, you know, kind of going back to the T.S. Eliot poem, it's like from what I've read of him and, and all that he created, that could not have, maybe that line was a completely different intention as to why he wrote that line than what I picked up on it, you know, as a 14 year old years and years later. So, yeah, I think that's kind of the mystery and the beauty of it. It's like, yeah, sometimes you're not going to know. Um, maybe it's for someone else to know. <laughs> I loved the thing you said about the technical, having to finish it in it with a technical mind. There's something about, I feel as a, you know, you're talking earlier about like originally getting really overwhelmed with the technical side of writing mm -hmm. or poetry or whatever. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of creators, you know, we're creating from an emotional place, a deep place, a personal place. And I think when we first encounter the technical side of anything, it's really easy to be like, it's not about that, man. Yeah. And you're just like, I'm not, you know, screw that. And I, someone asked me the other day, because um, I was going on and on about, you know, story structure and things I love about <laughs> the technical side of story. And they were like, when you first heard that stuff about story, did, were you instantly just like, whoa, yes. And it's so funny because I wanted, uh, I wanted to get into kids' books like eight years ago. And I started pitching stuff and everybody was giving me feedback, like picture bookmakers, editors. They were technical things about like, mm. here's the problem. The character can't save himself, you know, mm. this or these are all these little things. And I was like, my first reaction to that was like, screw that, man. You're yeah. trying to make formulaic garbage. Like, I don't need all that stuff. And it was really like just a self-preservation, like a self-consciousness mm -hmm. thing. And uh, but I just, it, I followed my little bit of curiosity, like someone who, you know, gets overwhelmed by play, learning to play guitar, but it's like, I'm just going to learn the two, three chords I need to learn for this mm. song. And then eventually you find this love for that technical stuff and you realize like it can, even when you don't feel the flow, even when you don't know that you're doing anything, yeah. uh, that you're, you're leaning on that craft and some amazing things can happen. Oh, yes. I have, I have this quote that I've been holding on to and I cannot find who said it. So there's this like, there, I saw it on like a music website where they mm. generate different quotes from producers and stuff. But every time you refresh the page, it's a different quote. And I sat there oh, refreshing cool. it like thousands of times <laughs> trying to get back to the quote. So I don't know uh. who said it. If anyone knows, like, let me know. But they said, when you're bored, don't try to make a new song focus on making templates. And I know very little about music production, but what I took from that is like, oh, I don't, I, I can, if I'm not quite getting to the, the flow state that I, that yeah. I really want to be in, I can, I can work on building containers that have structures that have like, okay, this goes here, this goes there. And I think that's hard because it's like, I do kind of want it to just all kind of spill out on the canvas and it's just all beautiful and works out the way it wants to. But it's like, no, you, sometimes you do have to spend that time kind of learning like, okay, this goes here. And like you said, with story, I, I feel like I've been even learning that with my poems of like, okay, maybe there is sort of like a science to why some poems work better than others. Maybe it's not. Yes, it is. I was in the flow, but there also could be some practical thing of like, 
well, there's a certain kind of resolve in these particular kinds of words. And when you put them at this point in the sentence, then it it hits in a different way just because that's the way the English language is set up. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I've actually just started reading this book. I've kept trying to find it. I thought I had it right here, but it's called How to Write a Sentence. Mm-hmm. And um, this guy loves sentences. I mean, he's, <laughs> yeah, it's called How to Write a Sentence um, and How to Read One by Stanley Fish. <laughs> and I'm still in the first chapter and it's just yeah. so detailed, just things I've never thought about. And he even says in there, he's like, some people love painting, some people love music. I love sentences. And he's like, here's why this sentence works this way. And I'm just like, oh my God like there's so much to this and there's so many times I sit there trying to like so and it's like wow I could I could probably learn something from this so yeah I'll keep you posted on that I'm, I'm only cool. in the first chapter <laughs> I love it and I love this guy who's was crazy about sentences yeah. uh, I, I it's interesting too because I feel like we're both and uh it's just a natural thing to talk about uh, things in a kind of kind of dual way rather than mm-hmm. a oneness way of like the technical and flow mm-hmm. they if you just put two words together in I think any two words you throw out there doesn't matter what they are you're gonna instantly try to find out how they're the opposite of each other oh you're and I think so they're right. it's you know, and I think that they don't maybe they're not maybe they're just yeah just super interconnected yeah they're just like kind of different sides of the same thing and we have to find a way to like work with both of them and I feel like mm-hmm. the greatest artists are people who oftentimes figured out in their own way, figured out sure. how to do that. Like maybe they had a very technical way of seeing the world and they, and they saw the world's pain and struggle and suffering. And then when they brought it to the canvas, it turns into this whole other thing. So I think we, maybe we all have like a different version of like, what's our technical thing that we kind of get into. And then like, how can we bring that into the flow? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And I, you can't put, I don't think any, you can't put it, you can't pin it down or anything, mm-hmm. and, yeah. but, uh, but I think you're right. What, another question I had for you was, um, you, you have, I've heard you speak of all these different, um, creative heroes and I wondered, especially in poetry, but just generally what you feel you want to bring different to the thing, you know, with, as you're, if you're picking up some kind of torch, where are you trying to carry it that it hasn't gone? Yes. Yeah, so this is kind of inspired by this one artist who I I just love her work. And her name was Augusta Savage. And she is one of, like, she was an African-American um, sculptor. And she made, of the many things that she made, she made this incredible, I think it's called the harp. It's this um, this massive sculpture of, of, of these singers. And it was presented at like the World Fair, like back in the 60s, I think. And when I first saw it, I was like, wow, this thing is amazing. Where can I go see it? You know, that was my first thought when you see like a big piece of amazing public art. I'm like, I want to go see it. And it actually doesn't exist anymore because either like they didn't really pay her enough. She could not afford to take it away from the exhibit. So it was destroyed. And I was just like so heartbroken by that. And I was just like, there's already so few like black sculptors that you can look at. And then here is this amazing sculptor that can't even go see anywhere. And then I found this quote of hers where she talks about how she says that, and I'm paraphrasing, but she says that like my work doesn't live on in like the physical thing that I made, but in the work of my students. And I just thought that was so amazing from someone who, cause I'm like, yeah, I put a lot of time into my work, but not like somebody making like, you know, <laughs> massive tower sculptures that, that are in the sky. And I'm like, for someone to make something that monumental to say that, I think that's significant. So one thing that I've just been kind of like, because over this past year, I've had to modify a lot of my dreams. I had some plans that just, some plans for my art and things that I wanted to do, like many people that I just haven't been able to do. And I've just been thinking, I'm like, you know what? I think what brings me a lot of peace is that if, if somebody looks at my work and says, wow, maybe I can do that too. Like, she did that on an iPad? Like... <laughs> What? Maybe I could do that. Like, what can I do on an iPad? I, I think if somebody looks at my work and says that, I think that that's, that's worth it for me because it's making art has been such a 
solace for me in my own life with things that I've struggled with. And I really do feel like every human being deserves to have that place in their life of solace and being grounded. And if me doing what I do helps somebody else find that, I think that 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 is like the best the best version of what I could do. That yeah, that's that's really interesting. I feel like it's and it's especially poignant with somebody who makes something so physical to say yeah. the takeaway from my work is not physical at all. It has nothing to do with that. Yeah. Cuz I feel like if I were to sculpt like a coffee mug, I'm like I need this thing to <laughs> This is gonna. This ceramic needs to be around for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Someone needs really to find this one day. Like, and this is gonna be put in a museum. Yes. Yeah. Like, this is the thing that's gonna stick around. And that. Yeah. That's yes. such a. That's such a fascinating uh, perspective. So, you shared something this year about uh, a diagnosis and and some personal stuff. Uh, do you want to kind of just share what that process was like? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, over the past year, um, kind of the other side of like having some of my dreams get modified and downsized um, at home a lot and ended up on TikTok a lot. And in being on TikTok, I ended up on some videos of women who were describing their experiences of being diagnosed with autism as adults. And I was watching these videos like, whoa, they're describing my entire life. What is going on? So I actually pursued an autism diagnosis um, last, late last year. And then I ended up being diagnosed with autism um, about a month or so ago. And it has just been such a just honestly a lot of relief a lot of peace because I've had a lot of struggles that honestly it makes sense why I ran to art <laughs> and as much as I have in the many different forms that I have because I was honestly just so I also end up finding out I have a sensory processing disorder so I was literally on the road as a touring musician being completely just overloaded by live music and not knowing why. I would get off stage sometimes and I felt like I was about to cry. And I was like, why do I feel like I'm about to cry? Like, that was a cool experience. Like, any, like what, why, why do I feel like I'm about to cry? And I didn't know that loud sounds, loud lights all of that stuff, it just wears down on my system and gradually shuts me down throughout the day. So I didn't know any of this. So I, I, what would end up happening was I would literally run to the tour bus and I would just kind of like go and sit in my bunk and close the curtain and just sit there in darkness. And then after being there in darkness, I would write. I would open my phone on my notes app and I would just just all kinds of things. And it's so interesting to see that all of that had to do with something that was so much bigger than me that I didn't know. And I'm just so glad that I, I did have kind of like an outlet because it's very hard for not just not just for people with autism, but if you have something significant that you're struggling with, but you don't know what it is, that can cause so many problems because you don't even know how to ask for help. You know, it's like you hear ask for help. But it's like, well, if I don't know what's wrong, I don't even know how to ask for help. So, yeah, that that honestly led me to the diagnosis. And then it led me to wanting to share my story as well, because I was like, if I can, again, if I can help someone else suffer a little less and if I can help someone else say, wait, wait a second that sounds like me, then I think that that's worth it. Um, so yeah, it's just been a huge, it's like a huge, it's been a huge moment in my life. Like, I feel like it's been like a, like if, if my life were a movie, which I'm not, I don't, I can never, I can't even imagine that. But if it were, if it were a movie, that that's like the point of the story, like where it's like, oh, this is where everything changed for her. Cause it, it really was that. And more specifically, it was a moment when I was with the specialist and, and uh, I was kind of getting the full diagnosis, which is like textbook size of, of you know, kind of everything that was going on. It was incredibly detailed. Mm. I was like, wow, all right, good to know. And at the very end of it, she looked at me and said, and it's not your fault. Mm. And 
in that moment, I just, I just like lost it. I, I, I had never been hurt, told that. Um, I knew I had things going on. I didn't know what, but I certainly thought it was my fault. I certainly thought it was all on me to fix it. And I just needed to grow up or whatever. So to hear that at, at 31 years old, which is how old I am right now. And that, that has made a a huge impact on my life. And, um, yeah, I'm just really grateful. Well, thanks for sharing so openly and especially just on your platform, you have a huge platform and to be someone, you know, I I mean, I'm, I don't know all the detail. I'm not as familiar with, uh, autism or the spectrum, but I imagine that, um, just, not very, not tons of people with your platform or uh, coming from people like you are going to stand up and say this. And I think, especially an artist, you know, uh, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. And I, I was so moved by it. And I'm very moved by your experience because it, it mirrors mine with ADHD in so many ways that um, I just, I can really relate to the part of not being your fault. I think we, I don't know if it's America. I don't know what it is. It's something in our culture. There's just this attitude, I feel like, when you're doing something that is inconvenient or seen as wrong or difficult or whatever it is, what, just any, anything that's seen as not positive. I feel like the general attitude uh, growing up for me was s- just stop doing that. You know that thing yeah. you do? Just stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and getting a diagnosis that's like, you know that thing you've been trying to stop yeah. with all of your being mm. for, you know, 30 years? You can't. So quit, stop doing that. You can do things with it. There's all kinds of things you can do with it. Yeah. But just stopping it is not a solution or an answer. And yeah. and it's not your fault that you can't stop doing it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That is so important because – for people like us, we yes. grow up putting all this energy into like, just stop being this way, stop being this way. And that wears you down too. Like it, it just wears you down. And, and it's like, or what if like all of the stuff that makes you, you also has this whole other world that yes, you were right. meant to tap, tap into and you can, and you're free to do that. So yeah, I have even been like, I feel like some very like specific things that I've been noticing about myself that I've been allowing myself to do that prior to this diagnosis, I probably would have said, stop doing that. There's a lot of, um, like if you Google, you'll see them. There's a lot of like autistic toys that like people use just to kind of like help you regulate throughout the day. And I've like, I've bought all of them. (laughs) I have all of them. And, and I'm at a point now and it's how I know I'm growing where I'm like, I don't care if someone sees me playing with this little infinity cube, like (laughs) during your conversation, I'm like, this is helping me be present in the way that I am. And, and there is a time where I would have hidden that if I had that little infinity cube, I would have been like, well, keep it in your pocket. But I'm like, no, I don't care. Like I'm, (laughs) I'm going to carry this with me if I'm on a walk and if I need it. And yeah, I'm, I'm just really proud of myself for that because I can honestly say that even a year ago, I probably would have felt more of that, what you're saying of like, no, don't be that way. Like, you don't need that. You can survive without this little infinity cube. It's like, maybe I can, or maybe I really want it and I'm going to use it because it's what I need right now. So that's just like one little tiny example of how I'm realizing there's this whole world of like, okay, there's this way that you think you have to be, or there's this other option. So yeah. And I was one thing I said that I was making an assumption when I said, you know, someone like you who's an artist, but I also was thinking as a woman, I haven't mm. seen I ha, I don't know the stats, so I maybe it's just an assumption, but I was what I was saying was I don't I have not seen a lot of women talk about oh, yeah. uh, being on the spectrum. And yeah. so to me, that alone was like Man, this is huge and really it's uh, it's also fantastic for me because some of my closest friends are on the spectrum and I don't know the science of it but I often say that it feels like as someone with ADHD like they're they have a part of the brain that I'm missing mm. and I have some different part that they don't have as much access to and I feel like I'm like passing notes back and forth yeah. of like 
what about this? And they're like, wow, what about that? I'm like, I never saw that. I'm like, oh my gosh. So you saying that was just, that just made my day. Oh my goodness. I'll have to try to find it. But there is uh, someone who does a series of TikTok videos and there's two characters they've created. I don't know the background of the person who makes them, but it's it's an ADHD roommate and an autistic roommate. And Uh I I do do know that they're neurodivergent, but I don't know what the specifics are. But yeah, yeah, just hearing what you just said, they'd have so much dialogue of like, okay, yeah, there's there's something happening there. There's definitely a connection. And we talked a little bit about kind of some of the tough things along all of that. But mm-hmm. I also, we talk on this show all the time. My, one of my favorite quotes is, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Mm. And I really think that that quote is about the cave you fear to enter is the side of your, it's your shadow self. It's a side that you're like, I don't want to think about all of that stuff. Yeah. But uh, when you do... Um, like seek a diagnosis, but it can be all kinds of things. It can be like looking into trauma. It can mm-hmm. when when you're ready to do that, or or any any of those sides of us that we try to like downplay or or ignore or suppress. Um, but when you do that, yes, you do. Find, it's not like you go in there and there aren't any dragons. There mm-hmm. are. There, but at least you're now like you were kind of saying like um, before you had the diagnosis, you're fighting something that you can't even see. It's like you're fighting something with a blindfold on and actually taking it off. You actually can have a fair fight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'm also curious uh, in terms of being a creative, um, what, if any, there, uh, what are the treasures that have been in that uh, mm. for you? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that. So, you know, earlier (laughs) when I was talking about like the cadences thing and like kind of hearing tone and and the rhythm of a conversation and just holding on to that. So a part of being on this autism spectrum, and this is something that many, everyone's experience is different on the spectrum, but it's something that many people deal with on like a social communication is that we don't always pick up on tone and we, and and a lot of times, even when we have tone in our voice, when we're speaking, it's very practice. It's very, we're very conscious of like, oh, lift your voice here, lower it. Because it's, it's just the way we are. We have, we hear things differently. So what I think has happened for me is because I've spent all these years having to try to pay, pay so much attention to tone and different social cues and social nuances. I've had to study these things that they've stuck with me in a different way. So to, to the point that I'm literally memorizing and hearing, okay, when a person is pacing their words this way, they're probably really excited about something. And when they're kind of, I don't know, they're, they're maybe a little skeptical. So I'm hearing all of these things just in regular conversation with people, just because that's how I'm trying to keep up with all the social cues and nuances of, of kind of how the, the world quote unquote works. So I believe that that has given me sort of like a superpower in the way of when I'm reading, when I'm reading what other people have said, even if it's just in a comment section, like I am, I am listening to the tone. Now, of course I can't figure it out from reading, but I'm considering hmm, this could have been their tone in saying this, or this could have been it. And I write with all of that in mind. So um, yeah, it's given me, um, and another thing is that I I just kind of um, sensory overload, having, I am, I am really aware of color. <laughs> we have this couch that is like, it's a, it's a, it's like a brown fake leather couch. And my husband bought an ottoman for it that was also like a brown fake leather ottoman. And he was like, I was like, oh, those don't match. And he was like, they're literally the same color. I was like, no, the couch has yellow undertones and the the ottoman is red. I can see, I can see beyond the brown. There's yellow beneath that and there's red beneath that. And he was just staring at me like, yeah, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I'm like, oh, I think that honestly applies to my art. So even when I'm making something green, I'm like, no, there's yellow beneath that. If I'm going to have yellows on top, the yellow, the energy of that yellow needs to be beneath the green. So, um, yeah, I could talk about that all day. Oh, I feel like I with all of my so senses, much. there's something like that. <laughs> that, you know, uh, probably the bedrock of my creative philosophy is taste. And it's really about your sensitivity, like what yes. your, your taste. And I think that uh, a lot of people, and actually I, I, I'm not even married to the fact that you either have to be sensitive or you have to have dulled senses. I just think you have to kind of know what you have yeah. and then lean into that because I mm-hmm. color's huge for me in my work, but I'm actually 
uh, partially colorblind. Mm. So it's part. It's it's a big part of my work because I have to be like, boom, wow. turn it up to eleven, or I'm not seeing the contrast, right? Wow. So like, so that it doesn't really. <laughs> I think you have to be. Uh, and I, you know, I think about like someone who's a chef. You'd be surprised probably by how many really great chefs are super picky because their tongue is too sensitive. We're like, oh, I cannot, you know. Yeah, yeah. what's that chef in 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 Chicago? He he was on Chef's Table, the restaurant's called Alinea, mm. where he loses his know. sense of taste and it, yeah, it's a whole thing. Like I highly recommend anyone like yeah. how how he has to redefine his relationship with taste as a world-renowned chef. Well, that's interesting because then he probably has to get into texture and he has to get into yes. smell and he ha- and that's yes. going to make it's not a, and that's an interesting part of it. It's not about being, you know, there's a technical term they call it a super taster is someone who has like a ridiculous amount of taste buds yeah. and is hypersensitive. And I do think probably a lot of like top chefs have that, but they don't have to. They can. You can just you being aware and playing to yeah. what your nature is and is just power. That's so true. Yeah, because I, I think that now that we're talking about it, I think that seeing and hearing are probably my strongest. Because I'm like, yeah, I don't. I'm I'm aware of taste. I'm aware of texture, touching. But yeah, it's it's all yeah the stuff that like from my memory. Oh yeah, hearing. I can I can I, I kid you not. Like I can literally hear like. <laughs> with like a guitar being strummed in a particular way makes me think of four other songs <laughs> or I'm yeah. like, Oh, I know. I, I know. I know that exact. So, um, yeah, you're right. But it's not, it's, it doesn't have to be that way everywhere. It's like you, you have, we all have these sensitivities and we can lean into those. But it reminds me of you coming off stage and then shutting out sound mm. and vision because yeah. of that hypersensitivity. And yeah. it's no surprise to me that, uh, that delicate kind of way that you make choices is an intuition that is uh, informed by mm. a deep reception of those so things. So true. <laughs> so true. Oh, there's so much there. <laughs> I know. Okay. So we've, we, our time's kind of up and I have other oh, things, no. but I think we'll just have to do another one. Uh, this was, I was honestly, uh, I just want to say um, that I was on the verge of tears a few times talking mm. or hearing you talk about um, some of your experience uh, and just, you know, we were, ta- we were talking about the the flow state and hearing this person talk and just uh, you give in your experience um, with the diagnosis and all of those pieces. It was so much openness and sharing. And uh, I am. I just wanted to have said it really clearly that I'm, I am super grateful for you and I'm grateful for uh, your time and your art and all you give to people. And I'm super grateful to have you and your podcast on our network. Um, so thank you, Morgan. Well, thank you. I, I am grateful as well. <laughs> I really am. I, I love the space that, that you created. I mean, I, again, I'm a super fan. <laughs> I listen, I listen while I'm creating a lot as well. And um yeah, I just want to I just want to pass on that that feeling that I have, that sense of oh, okay, there's a lot going on but I can still breathe. Like I feel that when I'm making things and I just I want to pass that on to as many people as possible. Thank you. Thank you. Massive thanks to Morgan for taking so much time out and sharing her creative wisdom and being so vulnerable. I am, you know, I invited Morgan back uh, instantly when I saw that she was being so open about her neurodivergent brain and it just really moved me and, and surprised me and I was so... Uh, excited about that level of vulnerability with her audience. Um, Awesome. I love this episode. I love this talk. Uh, Don't forget to go check out Morgan's podcast, The Morgan Harper Nichols Show, wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go check it out by going to co-podcast.co and see all of our Kolu podcasts. Thank you again, Morgan, for uh, sharing your 
amazing creative spirit with uh, my people. We really, really love you and we appreciate you so much. other quick reminders don't forget this is the this is the last big push for uh orders for the book the book is out now you can get your copy now of every a pizza with everything on it i love this book so much it's been amazing to see it get in people's hands and them to see all the juicy details and all the love and and fun that we poured into this book Go check it out a pizza with everything on it go to creativepeptalk.com slash pizza we have just a little bit of a gap between where we are and where we need to be on this week's sales to really break through. So I need your help. Really, really appreciate everybody who has already come out. You are awesome. I see you. Um, and also, we're going to be doing a giveaway with our friends at Mightier. Do you remember Mightier? They are the folks who create video games to help uh, kids regulate their emotions and uh it they are an amazing company we've been doing great things with them we're going to be doing a giveaway on their instagram go follow them at be mightier we are going to be giving away a year subscription to mightier and an invisible things poster um more details on that we're going to be doing that next week go follow along at be mightier on instagram